Pete Carroll and John Schneider all but slammed the door shut on the possibility of Russell Wilson getting traded on Wednesday. But as for another superstar, that might not be the case. We're going to be breaking it all down on the latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Happy Thursday to all of our listeners. It's day number three of the NFL Scouting Combine. Actually had some players doing some testing today running the 40, doing some bench press, you name it. So everything's speeding up here in Indianapolis. We are going to be taking a look at some top prospects that fit the Seahawks along the offensive line, as well as at the running back position. Maybe have a little talk about what we heard coming out of Indianapolis here at the Combine. Looking forward to breaking down those two position groups on today's episode. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen Five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Based on the comments that Pete Carroll and John Schneider made at the Combine yesterday, Russell Wilson's status in Seattle looks to be secured at least for the 2022 season. The trade seems extremely unlikely. They made it clear they have no intention of dealing him. Now, there's some media experts out there that are trying to spin those words a different way. You're not going to get that here on our podcast, but while Wilson's status looks to be good to go for this year under center for the Seahawks, I don't know that we can necessarily say the same thing, Rob, for Bobby Wagner. And this is a conversation that we've already had a few times this offseason with a cap hit north of $20 million set to turn 32 years old this summer. There are question marks about Wagner's future with the team this season. And the comments made by Pete Carroll and John Schneider, especially Carroll, suggest to me that they're not necessarily sure that that's going to be the case. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I think that a lot of our listeners, Corbin, are, are savvy enough to be able to kind of read through the lines, um, you know, when they when they hear or, uh, you know, read Pete Carroll's lines. And, and so I'll just uh, read his quote. We expect to play with Bobby, uh, Pete Carroll said. We love playing with Bobby. He's been a great player, another great season. At this time of year, there's a lot of guys that are in a position where we got to figure out where everybody fits together. And Bobby's been such a steady part of it. We'd love to be able to play with him. So we'll work towards that. If we can do that, we'll do it. And that sounds great. It sounds like, you know, the, the respect that number 54 deserves. But the, as you just mentioned, Bobby Wagner's already under contract. So this if we can do it stuff to me suggests that uh, the Seahawks are going to try to extend him, lower that, that salary cap hit this year. Uh, if they can do it, if Bobby Wagner refuses, uh, you know, to to lower that salary cap this year, then maybe the Seahawks are going to have to look in a different direction for their starting middle linebacker. Um, you know, and so that to me, it, it was one of the real big news items, uh, not only in Seattle, but across all of the NFL when you're talking about a future pro bowler like Bobby Wagner. And obviously in this business, Rob, one of our jobs is to try to be a sleuth looking through coach 
speak because that's what we deal with with Pete Carroll. Like any coach, they're only going to give so much away. You don't want to give your intentions to the other 31 teams, particularly when it comes to free agents and the draft. And even with a player like Wagner, there could be a cap casualty. You don't want to tip your hand too much there. But I think at this point, we have to at least look at there's a slim possibility that that's what could happen because you're right. If Bobby Wagner is not willing as his own agent to agree to terms on a contract extension or a deal that's going to put a void year or two on top of it to lower that cap hit. If they can't reach an agreement on that, as we've talked about several times this offseason, a $20 million cap hit for an aging linebacker, that's an untenable situation. If they can lower that even five, six million, we're talking about another really good player or a couple really solid players that they could sign in free agency or guys that could re-sign that are set to hit the market soon. That's a big difference maker for your roster construction process. And so while Bobby Wagner has been a phenomenal player and he's a future Hall of Famer, all those all pro selections, all the Pro Bowl selections, 100 plus tackles year in, year out at 170 of them last year, still a very productive player. He's not worth that cap hit number. I don't think there's any debating that at this point. And so what the comments from Carroll suggest to me, you don't have the full commitment here. And there's not a lot of clarity. I thought we got clarity on Russell Wilson yesterday. It's very evident. We are not planning to move Russell Wilson. We are not intending to move him. I didn't get that same vibe with these comments on Bobby Wagner's situation, using words like if to try to structure, hey, we don't know if this is going to work out, trying to work on a restructured contract of some sort or extension, whatever, behind the scenes. Obviously not going to open up about specifics on that, but that's what it sounds like to me is that they are working on something and they aren't necessarily in the clear on whether they're going to be able to make it work or not. And again, as you mentioned, that opens the door to, you know, if he's not willing to do something with his contract and they can't strike an agreement, it could be the Cody Barton era or maybe a rookie coming in. It could change your draft plan. If you're trying to move on from one of your franchise icons, you suddenly have a big hole to fill in the middle next to Jordan Brooks. Yeah, exactly. And I, I love that you mentioned uh, the, the fact that Bobby Wagner is, in fact, representing himself. He's his own agent. Um, you know, this is that that time when when teams get an opportunity usually to to speak with the agents of players at the combine. That's that's one of the the biggest things that happens in Indianapolis, not just inside Lucas Oil Stadium, but in, in all of those restaurants, all of those bars, all of those hotel, you know, lobbies and things like that. I mean, there's a lot of informal conversations, but when you're representing yourself like Bobby Wagner is, then there's only so much that Pete Carroll and John Schneider can say to him. And then you have to also say some things like this publicly. And I think that that gets the point across. So I think that this was very much intended to, to send that message that, look, this is not just a private conversation, you know, between Pete Carroll or, or John Schneider, uh, Matt Thomas, obviously one of, of Seattle's, you know, primary salary cap negotiators. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's very much, I think, intended to let Bobby Wagner know, look, that we we being the Seahawks are, have to kind of consider our options here. As you said, it, it is untenable at, at $20 million at his age. The production, you know, is, is very, very good, but the production is better than the actual playmaking ability that we've seen over the last couple of years of Bobby Wagner. And that's just, that's just watching the tape there, you know, and, and I think that we talked about this so many times that, you know, it looked like there were teams who were basically targeting him in coverage. And when you consider the, the talent that you have in this division, 
uh, you know, obviously with the Super Bowl champions and the San Francisco 49ers, just a couple of plays away from from, from representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, and, and you just think about the, the slot receivers, the, the the tight ends in this division, the, the dual threat quarterbacks. Uh, you know, you have to have speed and true playmaking ability at, the, at that middle linebacker position, especially if he is going to be paid as if he is the best player the game has ever seen at that spot. Yeah, I just think that this is going to be a very interesting storyline. Everybody's wanting to talk about Russell Wilson. I feel like this is the storyline when you're talking about a superstar player, a future Hall of Famer in Seattle that has been a, a pinnacle of the most successful era in team history. This would be the player, and, and I'm going to stick with what I have said all along. I think that the Seahawks want Bobby Wagner back this season, and I think that's evident by these comments. But – they are certainly keeping the door open that if we can't get that salary cap number down to where we need it to be in order to build a roster that can compete in this division, he's just not a $20 million a year player anymore. Plain and simple. He doesn't make enough impact plays like picking off passes, sacks, tackle for loss. He only had three of them last year. Jordan Brooks had 10. Those impact plays are not there for you to be paying that kind of money. And obviously he earned the contract that he got, but He's going to have to be willing, and he can still get all the money that's due to him if they put some void years on, they do extensions, you name it. They can find a way to make this work, but he has to be willing to do that. And as we know, players representing themselves, that really can complicate this type of a situation. So I'm interested to see how this plays out. And in fact, if they're having these discussions and things aren't going as they're supposed to be going here in the next few weeks, before the start of the new league year, that might be something that ends up being big news here in the next few weeks, moving on potentially from Bobby Wagner, because they're going to want to do something with that salary cap number so that they can effectively do business at the start of the new league year. So this is something to closely monitor. I still think 54 will be here next season, but they're going to have to figure something out with that contract right now. It looks like they're just having discussions. Nothing is set in stone at this point. We're going to continue our combine coverage here in a moment, talking running backs. Rob, you know I get really excited when we're talking backfield stuff. So hopefully we can try to fit in all the exciting players at the running back position that might be targets for the Seahawks as we head closer to the draft. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, betonline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season, and it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds, hopefully baseball down the line. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition, day three of the Combine. Exciting times here in Indianapolis. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast five days a week. They're covering with all of our experts locally, every single team throughout the league. A lot of combine coverage this week as well. Make sure to check that out wherever you listen to your podcast. Let's talk more combine coverage here. Yesterday, Rob, quarterbacks, tight ends, were staying on the offensive side of the football going to the backfield, running backs, my bread and butter. And we've seen a few running back classes recently that overall weren't that great, didn't have a lot of depth. We can't say that with this group. I have 12, 13 players 
that I've got fifth round or better grades on. There's a lot of guys in that middle, your hamburger of the draft. There are a lot of running backs in there that could be really good fits, a lot of really good all-around versatile backs that fit today's game. So hopefully we can fit everybody we want to talk about here into one segment. Yeah, it's going to be difficult because I, I agree with you. I think that this is a, a really bloated running back class in the middle. I don't think that there's the elite talent. I, I would be surprised, frankly, if there winds up being a running back that gets selected in the first round. And and that's saying something. We're, we've gone seven years in a row now, Corbin, with at least one running back being drafted in the first round. And I don't think that that's going to happen this year. But I would uh, I, I do expect there to be four or five running backs that go in the second to mid portion of the third round. Um, so that kind of just goes to, to your comment there. Um, so to me, one of the backs that I really think fits the Seahawks to a T um, is going back to their their old buddy, uh, Jim Harbaugh, the University of Michigan. Um, and uh, I really like Hassan Haskins. Uh, he, he is a guy that never once had a fumble in his entire career, uh, played his best in the biggest of games, was the MVP, was just um, absolutely unbelievable in, in the game against Ohio State that, that propelled Michigan to their undefeated season and to their, uh, you know, national, uh, you know, uh, well, the, the playoff uh, picture. So to me, he is a guy that, that makes a lot of sense as being that kind of bell cow downhill uh, kind of guy that, that the Seahawks might have to replace. If Chris Carson is not available, who knows what's going to happen with Rashad Penny. Haskins is not the burner, but he can be that between the tackles downhill runner that the Seahawks have always prioritized as long as John Schneider and, and Pete Carroll have been at the helm. I think that's what makes this group so exciting is there are a lot of really good downhill running backs that are in that 215 to 230 weight range. The the players that have always been in Pete Carroll's ballpark as far as, far as bell cows, Haskins is one of them. I got to go with my personal favorite here first. So we've talked about Damian Pierce a couple times on the podcast and I didn't watch a ton of Florida this year because quite frankly, they weren't good. There's a reason that they fired their head coach but there's another reason they fired him too. Uh, just criminal misuse of players and personnel. And maybe the most laughable one is the fact that Damian Pierce barely had 100 carries this last year, but he averaged five and a half yards per carry, averaged five and a half yards per carry in his entire career, but he never got, never got to be the bell cow. And we're talking about a 220-pound bowling ball in fact i'm gonna say this he is a refrigerator on legs and he was telling me about this day i'm angry i i run with uh, you know no good intentions is what he said and that's the kind of runner the seahawks want in the backfield they want a guy that not only can handle contact but seeks it and craves it and and what wants to plow forward and, and pick up extra yardage they love running backs like that well damian pierce might be the best in the entire draft class at when he hits defenders, dragging them and, and hauling those tacklers for dear life for a couple yards. There might not be another guy in this class that's better. And oh, by the way, he's really sound in pass protection. And as he told us today, no drops on targets to him in the passing game. So he is a surprisingly reliable target catching the football as well. This is a guy that even with his numbers, less than 600 rushing yards last year, again, that was not his fault. That is the fault of the coaching staff for misusing this player. I could see this guy being one of those guys that wasn't a great college player production-wise, ends up being a stud in the NFL, and I love his fit in Seattle. I think he's zone or gap. He can run in any scheme. 
I, I would agree with you. Um, I, I think with, with Pierce in particular, uh, I, I think it's kind of comical that he mentioned that he he never had a drop. Uh, you know, maybe at Florida, he had a couple of drops in Mobile at, at the Senior Bowl, including <laughs> a, a couple that were they were pretty disappointing because he was open and uh, it could have been big plays. But I I think that it's it's easy for players to say they run with bad intentions, to say all these cool things, but when their talk actually is backed up by what the film shows, Damian Pierce, you're you're absolutely right, Corbin. This kid is a truck. I mean, he just runs with great physicality. He really does uh, just lower his shoulder into defenders rather than being the the nail, so to speak. He is the hammer. And, and so that absolutely fits in with what Seattle's looking for. And then I like that you touched upon the fact that he just wasn't used very much at Florida. I mean, that's basically the exact same MO that Seattle used to, to get Chris Carson in the seventh round a couple of years ago. I mean, just an unbelievable NFL player, but wasn't that good at the college level. You see flashes on tape. I mean, Damian Pierce was really productive his senior year. I think he had you know 13 rushing touchdowns, I believe. And he gets SEC competition. Went to One touchdown for every seven touches. Yeah, exactly. And so, but at the same time, he only had, you know, maybe 330 carries over his entire four-year career in Florida. I just mentioned Haskins. I believe he had 330 carries just this past year. You know, and so that's the thing is that I do think that you're talking about a guy who has plenty of tread left on his tires. And considering how physical he runs, that's something that's really important. Before I go back to you real quick, Corbin, I I want to kind of just talk about a player that is basically a polar opposite of the the two guys that we just talked about. And that's the kid in Pullman, Max Borgie. I mean, his change of direction, his elusiveness, I don't know that that's going to be something that Seattle is looking for necessarily because of the backs that they already have uh, on their roster. Um, but at the same time, I, I do believe that he is a little bit like Damian Pierce in that a lot of people nationally aren't talking enough about him. This is a good football player, and he is so perfectly suited for today's NFL game. To me, he reminds me a little bit of Austin Eckler. And Austin Eckler is a terrific player, of course, for the Chargers. But I, I just love the chi- the shiftiness. I love the hands out of the backfield. He is going to be impressive when people talk to him and when he gets his opportunity to do the short shuttle and the, uh, and, and the three-cone drill that really show the change of direction. It may not be dynamic in the 40-yard the dash, remains to be seen, but I do think that he's going to impress some people with his quickness. He does have a good accelerator, though. This is a guy that can get up to top speed with the click of a light switch. And he's got excellent vision. And he was telling me today, I'm not worried about coming from an air raid offense. I can run in any scheme. I am confident in my abilities in every down back. And you see things on film that suggest that. He just hasn't had a lot of opportunities because the office he plays in, we know he can catch the football. The Seahawks have visited with him. So I would be a little surprised, as you mentioned, with Travis Homer and DJ Dallas already on the roster Seems like there might be some repetition there, but at the same time, this is a very good back that could offer them a number of different things on that side of the football as a receiver, as a runner. So that would be exciting. A couple other guys worth mentioning. I've talked about Abram Smith a few times on here. He is not the truck that Damian Pierce is in the sense that he is not going to be bowling over guys regularly. He'll do it occasionally because of his running style, but there might not be a back in this class that has better contact balance, the ability to just bounce off of guys. I've, I've mentioned this before. Chris Carson isn't even necessarily a trucking running back, but his ability to break tackles in bunches because of his contact balance, he's like a pinball. Abram Smith is the same way, and you, you can see the fact he played linebacker, and he was a starting linebacker at Baylor for a while. You can see that mentality, and he mentioned it to me today. 
it really helps him as a running back because he's able to do film study on linebackers for other teams, and he can see where their issues are with run fits and defense in general, and it really impacts his ability to find tight creases and pick up big yardage. So this guy's got a very high football IQ to go with that violent running style. He was 211 at the combine, at the Senior Bowl, so a little lighter maybe than Seattle's looking for, but he runs much bigger than that, and he was around 220 at Baylor. So I'm expecting that's probably what his weight's going to be in the league. I think he's more than big enough to be a potential bell cow in the league, and I love watching the kid run. No, I, I do as well. Um, and another guy that I really like uh, watching him run would be Tyler Igier. Um, You know, we've talked about him a little bit from, from BYU as, as well. Um, but talk about contact balance. I, to me, he is one of the most fascinating running backs in this draft class, Corbin, as far as who is at the combine and how well do they perform during the testing. I, I think that Algier is a guy that, that deserves to be drafted on day two. Um, at the same time, I do have reservations about a straight line speed. Um, now, I know he has a lot of breakaway runs on tape. I just don't see that that true uh, you know, accelerator. Um, and so that's where I'm kind of curious to see what he actually runs. I hope he runs in the, in the low four fives and winds up getting drafted very, very early because I think he's that good of a football player. But at the same time, if I'm looking at it from a Seahawk perspective, then I hope he runs a little bit slower because he plays fast. And, and so there's going to be some scouts out there who are just going to worry. They're going to, just going to see this big glut of running backs. They're going to go for the for the eye candy, the guys that work out really, really well. Um, and they're going to allow a good football player to potentially fall. Now, maybe that's going to be Algier. Maybe that's going to be one of these other backs that we just mentioned. I mean, I can, I can see Abram Smith or, or Damian Pierce being available in, in day three as well. Somebody's going to get a really good football player just because there's only so many running backs that have to be drafted, of course. Um, and, and these are all really good backs, I think, that fit in very nicely with what Seattle likes to do. The Seahawks should be able to get a quality running back, and they have drafted one eight of the past 12 years. It's really eight of the last 10 under John Schneider and Pete Carroll. They had one year they drafted three running backs. So we know that they like to stockpile that position with Penny and Carson's situation, one being a free agent, the other one coming off neck surgery. It's possible both of them might not be back next season. So they need to be restocking and replenishing the depth chart at a high attrition position. Luckily this year, there's a lot of options. It's a really solid draft class in the backfield. For these running backs to do well, though, they got to have blocking. And we know that's important for the quarterback's protection as well. So let's shift gears now here, Rob, going away from the running backs to the offensive line. And I always find that offensive line's a little bit tougher to try to evaluate when we're talking about combine stuff, because not that they're, you know, the testing doesn't matter, because there certainly are some drills that I look at. I think that, you know, the broad jump and even the vertical jump, when I'm looking at explosion, especially for zone blocking schemes, when you're looking for more athletic linemen, those are things that I look at. But Ultimately, it boils down to the tape and looking at the technique and the consistency. And while I don't think that this is a great draft class necessarily for offensive line in general, we've had some really good ones in recent seasons. I, th I still think that this is a very solid class with a number of players, both at the tackle positions as well as center, that could make sense for the Seahawks. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a little bit different than running back, whereas I argued before, I, I don't see a, a running back that's truly worthy of being a number, you know, one of the top 32 picks this year. Um, I, I think that there is very much some elite talent at the top of this year's tackle class. I, I expect in whatever order, guys like Evan Neal, Ikiakuanu, uh, maybe Charles Cross from uh, Mississippi State, I, I expect those guys to go 
very early in, in the first round, long out of Seattle's reach, even in a, in a possible trade-up situation. Um, same thing at the center position. Tyler Linderbaum, uh, to me, from Iowa is easily the number one center in this draft class. Uh, Zion Johnson from B Boston College is another guy that, you know, quite possibly could wind up going in the first round as well. If he is available um, to Seattle at number 41, I think that he's got to be one of those candidates you have to really strongly look at, um, you know. But at the same time, to me, what is kind of interesting about this is I think that there is a number of players that are going to be available in those middle rounds, maybe even into, uh, you know, late portion of, of day three that I think are, are potentially future starters. And so I, I think that this is a, a, a an opportunity here at the Combine to really see who are the athletes, who was in the best shape, um, because as you said, the, the most important thing, of course, is is the tape. But one of the things that's interesting to me, we had this conversation just last night on our Lockdown NFL Draft podcast, uh, Eric Crocker and Ryan Tracy, was actually the importance of the 40-yard dash for offensive tackles. The 10-yard splits. Well, it's not just 10-yard, it's the 40-yard dash too. And and that's the thing. I think a lot of people are just kind of laughing at that. Like, when does an offensive lineman run 40 yards? I get you. I get that. But I, I, I'm telling you, there's, I've talked to a lot of scouts, a lot of coaches out there, high ranking people who subscribe a lot to that theory that you want to look at some of the best offensive tackles in all of the NFL. They ran under, uh, you know, 4.9 seconds in the 40 yard dash. It's remarkable. The, the Trent Williams of the world and the, there's just so many, uh, Toronto, Toronto Armstead, Armstead, one that we talked another about. one, Lane Johnson, yeah. um, Exactly. I mean, so the, the guys that, you know, have wound up being really good football players, they've, they've been drafted very early in, in most cases, Armstead being a, a notable exception to that. They, they've had unbelievable athletic ability demonstrated by that 40 yard dash. So I, I get it. I, I think there's a lot of people out there who are kind of chuckling when I said 40 yard dash with the offensive tackles, but that to me is going to be something. Look at what Stone Forsyth did a year ago. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it is an important measurable for a lot of different teams out there, not just the Seahawks, but potentially even more for the Seahawks this year, considering they might be moving to that zone blocking scheme uh, that we at least expect with Andy Dickerson. Yeah, I hadn't necessarily heard the 40-yard dash, but I've always subscribed to the idea of the 10-yard split, uh, looking at guys that have that explosiveness, especially in zone blocking schemes. And so that is certainly something to watch. Again, these tests matter for all these positions. I just think each position group has different ones that you could maybe say are a greater priority. Like running backs, I would say three-cone drill and a short shuttle matter more than the 40-yard dash, in all honesty. You want guys that can move really well in space and be able to cut and create. You don't get that from your 40-yard dash time, running a straight line. But Looking at some of the tackles here, you mentioned Evan Neal and a few of the other guys that are going to be completely out of reach. We're not even going to waste our time talking about those guys because the Seattle Seahawks are not going to be in a position to draft any of those players. But I do think on day two, second and third round, that there are some players that have a chance to be available for Seattle that would be good fits. We've talked about Rasheed Walker, and I thought he was a really awesome interview today at the Combine. And he made me think about something that I'm not going to lie. I probably should have thought about this, but I hadn't. You know, he's played against a number of really good players in the Big Ten, but you can make an argument that his best exposure has been on his own team on the practice field. Think about some of the players he's gone against. He said Yitor Gross Matos was the player that he had to learn the most from early in his career because he roasted him in practice. And we saw Gross Matos as a high draft pick for the Panthers, and now he's in the NFL doing well. 
and he went against Micah Parsons as well. We saw the defensive rookie of the year last year for the Cowboys, and they've got Albuquerque, Albuquerque uh, coming in this year, Arnold Albuquerque, who's going to potentially be a second-round pick as well. Just think about how many names I just threw out there that he's gone against on the practice field. This is a three-year starter, a very athletic one at that Left tackle most likely, but he can play on the right side. He plays with a good anchor in pass protection. What I'd like to see more is a more consistent motor because he can be nasty in the trenches, but not on a consistent basis. So I'd like to see more of that in the run game. But this is a kid I think has a very high ceiling that you might be able to get in the second or even the third round. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. Um, you know, I mentioned before, he kind of reminds me of uh, another former Penn State player in, in Donovan Smith, who was the left tackle for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, you know, when they won their Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Good football player, just a little bit inconsistent. Uh, the, the consistency thing is one of the things that um, that I really liked about Sean Ryan from UCLA. I, I'm surprised that, not, that more people nationally aren't uh, talk, talking more about him. Um, you know, you and I were talking off the air, uh, you know, a few moments ago about how well that he performed against the University of Oregon and Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, I, I thought that Sean Ryan really stood out in, in every game that uh, that I've evaluated him. Um, I, I love the size. He's 6'5", 320 pounds. I think that he has the bulk to be able to slide inside if you want him to do that. But I also think that, like we just talked about with Rashid Walker, I think that he's light enough on his feet. That, that he can stay outside as well. So I, I'm really intrigued by him. I think that both those two players, Seattle, if they want him, are going to have to either use that number 41 overall selection or, or their third round, their, you know, one of two for third round picks, um, just because I don't think that you're going to see guys of that caliber wind up falling too much farther down the board. A couple other tackles that really intrigued me, uh, Abraham Lucas, we talked before about Washington State guys uh, with Max Borgie, but Abraham Lucas is going to be the first uh, Wazoo corner or Wazoo Cougar, excuse me, drafted this year. Uh, I, I think that he should not slip out of the second round. He is, in my opinion, quote unquote, just a right tackle. I don't like him inside a guard. I think he's just too big. I don't think that he has the footwork to be a left tackle, but a right tackle, a mauler at that. Uh, I think that he makes some sense for the Seahawks and for lots of other clubs. And then Darian Kennard, uh, from Kentucky, he was one of my favorite players at the Senior yep. Bowl. I mean, just to stand next to him, this is a massive, massive man. And and he has had some positional versatility. I think that he could slide inside to play guard, but I wouldn't want to be the guy that has to tell him he's going to switch college positions. This guy, or his position, because this guy plays the nastiness that the Seahawks absolutely love in their offensive linemen. To me, he's one of those guys who just kind of screams Seahawks in so many different ways. Yeah, I think the one concern that I have with Kennard is that I'm wondering about the footwork at tackle in the NFL. And so I can see some of the arguments about moving him inside, but I'm with you. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a tiny guy compared to him. Like, I wouldn't want to be the one telling him, hey, guess what? We're moving him inside. But based on what he said today, I think he'd be open to that. I'm sure that other teams have talked to him about that in interviews. And the same with Lucas. I'm with you. I don't, I don't see him being a guard. And it was interesting seeing the parallels between – are the differences between him and uh, former first-round pick Andre Dillard out of Washington State, who I've been told did not respond well at all when the Eagles moved into right tackle for a game, which ironically was against the Seahawks. Didn't like that movement. And Lucas is like, I don't care. I'll play left. I'll play right. I'll play guard. I just want to play. I'll put my hand in the dirt. I don't care if I played in an air raid. Like, just a totally different mentality. And he just looked sounded much more like a Seahawks-style lineman, and I think he'd be a great fit at right tackle. And oh, by the way, he has visited with the Seahawks a couple of times. And so 
They've already had their opportunity to, to look at him, to speak with him. He could be somebody that is in, indeed on their draft board. Now let's slide to the inside. You mentioned Zion Johnson. I, I don't think he's going to be there at 41 at this point. I'd be surprised uh, unless he just bombs his testing and somehow that moves him down. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen. This this kid is a outstanding character. He was an all-conference player in the ACC at tackle and guard. He showed he could play center at the senior bowl. I just think that he's got way too much momentum to get out of the first round. But there are a couple of guys that I could see late on day two and maybe even into day three that could make some sense. I want to start with a Kentucky player. We just mentioned Darian Kennard. Luke Fortner, 300 pounds, started almost 40 games at center for the Kentucky Wildcats in the SEC. That's not a big center by any means. And I'm not going to say he's a mauler because that would not be accurate. This is not a guy that's going to impose his will on defensive tackles, but he'll play with some punch. He packs some punch. He plays bigger than his size dictates. He's got sound footwork. I think his technique with his hands is on point. This is a guy that you might be able to get early on day three that with his experience playing in the best conference in college football, he might be able to start for you on day one. And imagine having a fourth round pick that you can have under rookie control for four years and upgrading your center position, which has been an issue for several years running. I just really like the way he plays the game. And oh, by the way, he's got an engineering degree. He's extremely intelligent. So he's going to have the communication stuff down pat too. We saw how important that was last year. So Fortner is high up on my list as potential centers that could be good fits for the Seahawks. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Fortner. Um, to me, it's funny. We, we've, we've talked about a couple of different Washington State Cougars, and I'm going to talk about another one. Uh, you know, former Washington State Cougar, former Seahawk Pro Bowler, Robbie Tobeck. When I watch Luke Fortner, I, I see lots of sh shades of, of Robbie Tobeck, just in terms of the fact that he is not a mauler. You're right, but he's quick. He's smart. He uses hands well. Um, he's battle-tested. Uh, he's durable. He's consistent. Um, you know, to me, he is that type of a guy that you probably could draft, you know, probably fourth, fifth round. Um, and I think that he has all the makings of being a, a starter in the NFL. Um, and, and because that he has played at the level that he has for as long as he has, then it shouldn't be, you know, a, a, a great deal of a learning curve for him. Um, so to me, he is a player that I, I really am intrigued by. Uh, Donovan West from Arizona State is another player that I, I also am intrigued by. I, I just there's a lot of buzz about him right now, and and I don't know that he necessarily is that much better of a football player than Fortner. So again, I think that that's it's going to be interesting to see how this center class shakes out. To me, it's again, it's it's not quite as top heavy as tackle i do expect linderbaum and quite possibly zion johnson to go in the first round but i think that there are a number of centers in this year's class corbin that you can get in the middle rounds i think there's some guys you can get in the later rounds luke wattenberg from washington is one nathan eldridge from oregon state is another that you can get in the late rounds that i think have the chance to you know quote unquote surprise in the nfl as well yeah, I've been a big fan of Donovan West, watching a lot of film on him. He has had some injury issues. He played through an injury, so I will give him that credit. He he, he is tough. This kid is tough. He'll play through injury. Was dealt with kind of a bad hand last year, but I think that the argument being made, and, and I could maybe subscribe to this, Fortner might be a high-floor, somewhat low-ceiling player. The Seahawks, though, just need a guy that can come in and be an upgrade and start, and Fortner can absolutely do that. I think Donovan West could start for you pretty quickly too, but I think when you look at the fact he hasn't played as many games, 
He has some experience playing guard as well, a little bigger body to go with it, has athleticism. That is a player that maybe has a little more boomer bust potential, at least in terms of day three boomer bust. That going to end up being a guy that is a little over his head, or you can end up having a Pro Bowl caliber center if everything comes together because he's got that kind of upside. So I think that's probably where a lot of that noise is coming from. He is one of those players where it feels like the potential, the upside there may be higher than Fortner, but you can get the sure thing with Fortner. And I'll be honest, watching the Seahawks the last four years, I'll take a sure thing at center. That sounds pretty nice to me. <laughs> no, to me as well. And I was actually kind of going back for a moment, um, just on, you know, we were talking to start the show about, uh, you know, Pete Carroll and, and John Schneider kind of reading through the tea leaves with at the middle linebacker position. I thought it was interesting. John Schneider in particular had some, you know, pretty glowing endorsement of, of Ethan Posick um, among Seattle's other centers. Uh, and so that kind of surprised me that, uh, you know, that he would be saying that he was as positive uh, on Posick as he was um, and uh, the Canadian kid as well. Um, you know, and so I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if Seattle prioritizes center as much as you and I have, have been basically pounding on the table. And certainly a lot of Seahawks fans have been pounding on the table that they should. I, I just don't know that Seattle views it exactly the same way. It's going to be fascinating to see how they do this. Well, I have my opinion on that. I've already stated it. But, yes, he did have glowing things to say about Posick and Dakota Shepley. But, again, you got some good centers in this draft class. you got some decent ones in the free agent market as well. And, you know, Posick played fine down the stretch. I don't think that, you know, if you bring him in, he competes and he beats somebody out. You know, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. But this does feel like a position, and we've been saying this for two years now, that needs to be upgraded. Certainly some intriguing options in this draft class. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, five days a week streaming on YouTube. Coming up on our next episode, I'll be joined by Nick Lee. We're going to have a double header here on Thursday, replacing the Tuesday episode that never existed. We're going to be discussing defensive linemen. Looking forward to looking at some edge rushers as we continue our combine coverage, plus a close look at some of Pete Carroll's comments on what the defense will look like with some new assistants in place and a new defensive coordinator. Thanks for listening in. Look for the next episode coming your way. Go Hawks.